Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Smart Strength Training Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Vincent, and today's topic is all about progression with your strength training. It's common to hear in social media coaches talk about progressive overload, which is great. I'm fully on board with this information being out there. But of course, it also brings with it some confusion about really what variables with exercise, with strength training, are we trying to progress? At what rate should we be progressing them? And then this instantly leads to the conversation around how hard should we be training? How close to failure should we be pushing our exercises? So first up, let's go into progressive overload. What really is it? Before we can discuss this, we need to talk about what elements of training, what stimulus that we can get from training are we trying to progress? So there are two things that you need to know. The first is mechanical tension. And mechanical tension refers to the force exerted on a muscle when they contract against a resistance. So this is primarily going to be the load on the bar or the weight of the dumbbells. And the other element we're looking to progress is metabolic stress. And this occurs when the muscles are used for a prolonged period of time, which leads to an accumulation of certain metabolites. So metabolic stress has more of this sort of fatigue resistant element to it. Both of these contribute to muscle growth and adaptations, albeit they work through different pathways. And it's really important to point out the role of each is still to a degree argued. Certainly the role of metabolic stress is argued within the context of building muscle. How much do we actually need metabolic stress and how much is mechanical tension going to be the primary driver? So let's then talk about what we're trying to progress. So let's think about if we're trying to increase mechanical tension, then means we are trying to add load to the exercise. It's also worth pointing out that mechanical tension is also going to be affected by putting muscles into a long muscle length, so training through a full range of motion. That's not really a measure of progression, and I'll save that topic for a later episode. Metabolic stress is then more aligned to the amount of accumulative work we put through the muscle, which therefore leads us more into this idea of volume, the amount of reps that we produce, uh, or the amount of total sets, the total working sets that we do on a particular muscle group, a particular exercise. So load and volume, they are the primary things we're looking to try and affect with progressive overload. And I need to be really clear. I keep hearing trainers say, you can slow your reps down and focus on time under tension. You could reduce your rest periods. You could superset particular exercises to make them more challenging. You could do an extra workout. Okay, these are all going to make it harder, but they're not actually going to affect mechanical tension or metabolic stress, not to the amount that we actually want them to. I certainly think that tension, time tension and tempo has its place. I'll discuss that later, as I will also discuss uh, frequency of training, so the amount of times you train per week later. But those things are not what we're trying to progress. We are very much trying to increase the load or the reps. So let's discuss further. So how often should we be progressing our training? Now, this depends on quite a few things. First up, your lifting experience. For any of you that have trained for a little while now, you'll probably recognize that your first year or so of training was wonderful. You get progression pretty much every week. Every exercise moves forward. It's great. But then after a while, maybe one to two years, 
that rate of progress is slower. You are not adding so much load onto a bar at the end of an eight to 10 week training block. And that is the norm. So you'll be progressing your training much more as a newbie than you will an experienced lifter. Where you are within a training program will also affect how much you can progress. Let's say you're doing a 12 week program. From week one to six, the exercises in the program are fairly new to you. So you'll get a decent amount of progression across those first maybe six weeks. But then recognizing from six to 12 weeks, you've already got the easy wins from the first six weeks. Those last six weeks, you're going to be much, much slower with your rate of progress with either load or volume. So where you are in your training block matters when it comes to how much you can progress in exercise. The overall complexity of the exercise is going to make a huge difference. Some exercises you just to be really careful because there is a risk to reward ratio for training with load going through the body. Good examples are the conventional deadlift and like a barbell military overhead press. Both of those come with a risk of injury to the spine and therefore you do want to be careful with how much you progress them. It's also worth pointing out that very, very low skill exercises like a bicep curl or a leg extension machine, because of the simple nature of it being single joint, you've not really got much to help you. You are basically doing one very small movement. When you get to the point that you can't do any more, you're going to struggle to progress that week on week. So isolation exercises actually become quite hard to progress long-term because obviously you can cheat and have bad form, but at least respect with something like a squat I could shift into my hips more. I could shift into my knees more. I could shift from side to side more. A bicep curl, I don't really have that option. You are very much exposed to whatever you can do as far as the muscle is concerned. So the exercise selection is also going to be something you think about. And then your recovery and how recovered you are. Respecting that if you, let's say you've got four workouts per week, you've trained Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and you're in that Friday session and the amount of accumulative work you've done up to that point. Most of us have jobs or families, so potentially not sleeping as well. It might not be possible to progress based on what's happened coming up to that point. Or the other way around, you might not want to push things too hard because potentially your next day of training, you want to be fresh for that because there's a particular exercise in that workout that you do want to try and progress. So there's all these variables around when and how you can progress your training. I think progressive overload needs to be understood as this overarching theme of strength training. It's not something that you will do session to session, so therefore week to week. It's more of a month to month focus. So really think of it as an overriding principle, not absolute within a workout itself. And then let's think about tempo because this plays into this next topic. Staying at the same load, mastering the form, and making sure you really own that weight, that rep range for a particular lift is all a part of progression. We've all glanced around the weights room and we can see that person who's got terrible form and everything's going horribly wrong and they're progressing their weights up. You don't want to be that person. You want to check your ego as you walk in. So therefore using tempo to spend one to three, four weeks managing the same load across the same amount of reps to really lock that load in is a very sensible way to help with progression. But tempo by itself is not a measure of progression. A really good example of this is I always use it as the knees caving in on a squat. Every single week someone says to me, Andy, how do I stop my knees caving in? Is it weak glutes? Is it technique? It's usually a too rapid rate of increasing the load. And I often just say, 
take five kilos off. How does it look? Knee still falling. Take another five kilos off. How does it look? Yeah, that was great. Okay, so the honest truth is you are not the weight. You're not able to currently manage at 10 kilos more. Your current technical ability was 10 kilos lighter. Respect what your body can do and focus on a slower rate of progress. That's a really sensible thing when it comes to progression with load and using tempo as a way or certainly controlling your rep speed as a way of managing that. And then a few sort of practical pointers around progression. So we know we're going to try and progress load and volume. But when do you know which one to do? And the actual answer is it depends on the reps you're doing because the amount of reps you're doing will generally guide you a little bit. Recognize this. If I'm doing 10 reps of 10 kilos of a shoulder press and I want to go up to 12 kilos on that shoulder press for 10 reps. That's two kilos per rep. That's accumulating 20 kilos more work on that one set alone across three sets, 60 kilos of total work accumulated. You're never going to be able to do that. So when you're working in higher rep volumes, anything over really 10 reps, you're probably going to find that when you are focusing on progression, Adding a rep is going to be your main way of doing that, going from 10 to 11, 11 to 12 and upwards. And then when you do want to increase the load, let's say you've managed that load and you're now doing 14 reps at 10 kilos and you want to go to that 12 kilo load, you have to come right back down to eight reps to start to manage that new load and then flow that back up. So if you could ever go up in load, and do the exact same amount of reps that you were doing on the lighter load, you were not training hard enough on that lighter load. And we'll come to that in this conversation around training to failure. And that hopefully makes practical and logical sense. If you were training really hard, doing 10 kilos for 10 reps, and you went up to 12 kilos, and you could do all 10 reps, then that that 10 by 10 was not that hard. So recognizing that when you're up in the higher rep ranges, it's generally going to be adding a rep here and there that you're looking to do. And the second you go heavier, just know it makes logical sense to bring your overall reps down to manage that new load. Whereas when you're doing high load, low rep training, the opposite is true. I haven't got to do many reps. I'm only doing one, two, three, or four reps. So therefore, I'm pretty much only going to be thinking about adding load. And the truth is when you're doing below five reps with your training, you're not going to be thinking about adding a, a, a rep. You're always be thinking about keeping the reps pretty standardized and just trying to add load to that rep range. So I honestly believe if you're doing one reps, two reps, three reps, four reps, or five reps, you just sort of stick to that rep range or that, or that rep count and you focus on it. Anything over eight reps, it's very much a scope of range of reps because reps is the thing you're focusing on. So you might work from eight reps up to 12 reps, go heavier and low, come back down to eight and flow back up. But you wouldn't do that sort of protocol when it comes to heavier load, lower rep training. So just recognize the answer around, should I do a rep more or should I add more load? You probably can answer that by looking at the rep count you're currently working in. So let's now discuss training to failure. Hopefully, practically or logically, you might think that if I am increasing my load or volume over time, I will at some point get to the point that I'm now training pretty close to failure. That's a very smart, logical conclusion. And it's the truth. It's where I expect everyone to get to eventually. This idea of asking how close to failure you should be training is often, well, if you're just progressing your training, you'll get there eventually. So you haven't got to worry too much. But let's just delve a little bit deeper. We've got a few measures that we can use to gauge uh, our proximity to failure with an exercise. And they are a scoring system. One is called repetitions in reserve or RIP. 
are. And the other is called your rating of perceived exertion or your RPE score. Now, RAR, so repetitions in reserve, that's going to be you're doing your shoulder presses and you get close to the end. And at the last rep, you're like, oh, I probably could only have done one more rep. And you score that a one rep in reserve. Or if you prefer the idea of a scaling out of 10, 10 being maximal effort, one being minimal effort, and you get really close to that last rep, you're like, oh, that's a nine out of 10. So that is a nine out of 10, 10, a nine RPE. I don't mind what people choose to use the scoring, but you can use these proximity to failure scorings. What does the research tell us? The research says that for strength training, you do not need to train to failure. You only need to be progressing what you're doing. And when you are trying to focus on getting much stronger, you're lifting much heavier loads. So you want to be focusing on good technique, good form. So you do not want to be going to failure. So if I'm down that one to five rep range, I do not need to be pushing all the way to complete failure because the breakdown in form would probably mean that something could go horribly wrong. For adding muscle, it really depends. There are different research papers that say different things on this one. We certainly know you don't have to go to failure. Some camps say you do, some camps say you don't. That's kind of standard for the fitness industry. People love their little, they choose a path and that's how they focus. But I think it's important just to point out that you've got options around training to failure. So if you're a complete beginner to training, the first year or so, you've got plenty of gains to get without ever going anywhere near failure. You're progressing week on week. You probably, you still learn the techniques, the movements. There's no point of going to failure for complete beginners. Also then for anyone that's in the gym and you've got three sets of dumbbell chest press, you're not going to train to failure on all three of those sets. It really would be the last one, maybe last two sets. So you're not trained to failure across every single set. You've got to recognize the skill element I've already mentioned of exercises. It might be safe to train to failure. Respecting that the point in which you would fail in a squat is at the bottom. Well, how are you going to get out of that if you if you fail the squat at the bottom? Bar by bench press, you're going to fail with that bar against your chest. How are you going to get out of it? So recognizing the setup of the exercise might dictate whether or not you even have a possibility of training to failure and then recognizing your own skill level of the exercise. If the exercise is pretty new to you and you're just learning it, absolutely no reason why you want to go to failure. Respect that you're practicing the exercise, you're learning the technique, you've plenty of scope to progress the exercise. There is no need to train to failure. But when could training to failure be necessary? One thing from looking at the research, it seems that when you're doing high rep training, 15 reps plus, it looks like because the load isn't that great to really affect mechanical tension, that you do need to push those sets closer to failure. So when you're working in high reps, you do need to work closer to point of failure to create enough stimulus to be able to build muscle. The other thing that's quite good about training to failure is you don't need to do as many sets. So going back to the idea of not doing all your sets to failure, you could purposefully just do one or two sets of a particular exercise and push those to failure just to lower your overall set volume. Caveat to that, that I would be very selective on the exercises. I would do those on very complex exercises. But exercises that you've got a high level of skill at and you're confident in your technique, great idea to take two sets or one or two sets to point of failure. Isolation exercises, 
They're pretty simple. They're pretty low in skill. I actually think that that's a really great place to almost always push the exercise to failure. As long as you can do it and do it well, I see no reason to why to keep a rep in reserve on a bicep curl or a prone hamstring curl machine. I think that's a really smart place to go all the way to the point of failure. And then towards the end of your training block, if you're doing a 12-week training block and you're in week 10, and you've got two more weeks before you rotate a lot of these exercises out and you're going to be walking into a brand new workout in two weeks time, you can start pushing those exercises closer to failure. Still respect your skill of the exercise and the risk to reward ratio. That's a really smart place to train to failure. And a little kind of practical test for this because there's a big conversation around this RAR score or RPE scores to say that people aren't very good. And I'll be very honest, we are not good. Clients of mine and people I talk to really suck at scoring effort. It's quite a hard thing to do. And there's a big camp in the industry that states that if you've never trained to failure, how on earth do you know how close to failure you are? And they are kind of right. But we want to be safe where we do actually go all the way to failure. But doing a standardization method, something called an AMRAP, so as many reps as possible, on your very, very last set to see how close to failure you actually are. So let's say you're doing prone hamstring curl machine and you did two sets of eight leading up to your third and final set. You tell yourself, right, how close to failure was I on that second set up to eight reps? You might say, right, I reckon I had two reps in reserve at that point. And then you can test it. Go to that third set, you do as many reps as you physically can, and then see how far off you were. If you said you thought you had two reps in reserve and you got five more, then your scoring is a bit off and you're actually not as close to failure as you think you should be. And that's a really great way to then say, right, moving into the next phase of training, I'm going to up the load, increase my reps to get all those sets a bit close to failure. Really smart, practical way to every now and then on particular exercises, just standardize the way that you're training through your workout. But again, going to that point that we don't have to be pushing all the way to failure. We just need the sets to be hard enough and progressed. So you wouldn't need to do this on all your exercises. Certain exercises like a deadlift could be just running their own sort of uh, flow where they're never really going to failure. You might be pushing your arm exercises to failure all the time because they're low skill. You might use the arm wraps on like your dumbbell chest presses and your lat pull downs in the sort of middle of your workout every now and then just to sort of check in with your scorings. That could be a really nice way to have some failure and some non-failure in every single workout. So just before we wrap up, what are the overall takeaways from this topic? First up, progressive overload is this overarching theme. You're never going to progress every single week. We don't need to. It's, it's month on month that we're looking to. Train to failure. If you are just by default progressing your exercises, you will get there eventually. So you almost don't even need to worry about it. And if you are going to think about the progression with an exercise, choose your exercises to do them on. How skilled are you at the exercise? And then appreciate what is the risk to reward ratio of me pushing this exercise all the way to the point of failure? Because consistency is key and nothing wrecks consistency more than injury. Okay, so to wrap this up, I hope that was useful. I hope there were some good points in there that you could take away and start to implement straight away in your own training. And of course, if you want help putting these kind of techniques into place in your own training, you can join me for one-on-one online training where I coach a lot of these techniques week to week to really guide you through the process 
when you work with me with online uh, bespoke personal training.